When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Ridiculous Ashes podcast. I'm Dan Lipke. With me is Alex Bowden. Hello. We're covering historical Ashes series to find out which nation is more ridiculous at cricket. Is it England or is it Australia? And the series we're currently covering is the 2013 Ashes. Yes. Um, we're on the fourth test now, so I'm going to presume you pretty much know how this works. 3-2-1 uh, points for the most ridiculous point of the match. Most points wins the test. Yeah. Uh, I nominate and argue for England. Dan nominates and argues for Australia like the proud patriots we are. <laughs> Um, the situation is England took the third test in large part thanks to Stuart Broad walking supplemented by Alistair Cook's steadfast refusal to ever use part-time bowlers uh, David Warner's colourful return to the side earned Australia their only points uh, where does that put the series? I've actually forgotten yeah I, I'm pretty sure it's one all here uh, Australia the first test was a draw uh, despite the best efforts of uh, Pat Cummins special guest Pat Cummins uh, Australia won the second test and England won the third test as you just mentioned so all to play for going into the fourth Everything to play for. So, uh, what what happened in the fourth test, then, Dan? Refresh everyone's memory, or the younger generations, maybe just tell them what happened because they were too small to be paying attention. Yes, pay attention, younger generation. Yeah, damn straight. England had retained the Ashes after the third test, uh, but technically hadn't quite won the series yet. Uh, so, they were looking for a victory here in the fourth test at Durham to accomplish that feat as well. Uh, Alastair Cook won the toss and batted, and after a pretty steady start that took England 149 for two, Australia. Uh, Australia tightened it up in the in the field, and England were eventually dismissed for 238. Uh, in reply, Australia lost some early wickets to Stuart Broad, but then there was a century partnership between Chris Rogers and Shane Watson, who was now batting down the order at six. And then some late hitting from Ryan Harris gave Australia a 32-run lead on the first innings. Then Harris took three quick wickets, but just as Australia thought maybe we might win this actual test, uh, there was another century to Ian Bell and some entertaining late order slogging from Tim Bresnan and Graham Swan, which set Australia 299 runs for victory. And again, Australia looked to be on target. A century opening partnership from David Warner and Chris Rogers had Australia well set to run down the total, but then a broad blitz late on the fourth day saw Australia crumble from 147 for one to 224 all out, giving England victory by 74 runs and a 3-0 series lead. My first nomination is is England's old ball version of T20. (laughs) Um, So, well, this was midway through their first innings. England went 20 consecutive overs without hitting a four. (laughs) They then played out another over without hitting a four for good measure, but T21's not a thing, so I've, I've rebranded it. Uh, 21 consecutive overs without a boundary. Uh, and what surrounds that passage of play matters too. 
I think that because it that contextualizes it. Um, so let's go with beforehand. So in the 63rd yep. over, uh, Matt Pryor hit two consecutive fours off Ryan Harris. Uh, there were 10 runs off the over, and that took England to 183 for five. So they were sort of chipping along about three and over. So yep. pretty standard fare. From then on, the overs went, and I'm going to say zero here rather than maiden, so it sounds a bit more like binary code. Um, <laughs> Zero, no ball. Two, zero, one, zero, zero, one, zero, zero, one, zero, and prize dismissal. <laughs> zero, two, two with Bearstow's dismissal. Uh, wide, one. Now brace yourself for the big one here. Four, which included a no ball and also Stuart Broad's dismissal. Zero, zero, zero. <laughs> so, and uh, just to be clear, they're, they're runs in and over. That's not runs off an individual That's runs delivery. in an over. Yes, that's runs in an over. Uh, to be 100% clear. That's 16 runs in 21 overs, 13 off the bat, uh, and it took England to 199 for eight after 84 overs. Uh, to be fair, I don't, I don't think England's T20 side of the era were scoring a lot quicker than this, were they? <laughs> um, and now, so this is the, act, the aftermath and the next bit is, uh, after 84 overs, Australia took the new ball, uh, and three balls in, Swan hit a four off a no ball. So that was kind of the end of the no fours sequence. Uh, the next over, there were two more fours. Uh, the over after that, Swan was out. But then Jimmy Anderson hit four fours in eight balls. <laughs> Jimmy Anderson did. So they finished the day on 238 for nine. And those six new ball overs had gone 39 runs. So Never take 16, a new ball. 16 runs in 21 overs, 39 runs in six overs. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very good. That's my nomination, my first nomination. Very good nomination. Right, my, my first nomination uh, comes in Australia's first innings. Uh, this is the Watson and Rogers opening, in inverted commas, partnership. So, as we mentioned, David Warner came back in the previous test and he didn't open in the first innings in that test, but he did open in the second innings and the selectors came to their senses and realised David Warner is an opener. So, Warner and Rogers technically opened, but uh, that meant uh, Shane Watson had to drop all the way down to six. Nevertheless, uh, he and Rogers uh, reunited uh, as, as soon as the 23rd over. And at that point, they, they managed to put on 129 runs together, which turned out to be the best partnership by a pair of Australian openers for the entire series. <laughs> and uh, the only reason Rogers was there to bat, and I really didn't want to mention reviews again because this has been a very review-heavy season, but uh, again, there was an excellent piece of DRS nonsense, which I, I, I can't overlook here. So Rogers was caught behind and he was given out. Uh, he reviewed it because he was confident that he hadn't hit it. And uh, Hotspot confirmed this. It showed that the ball had, in fact, hit his pad. So he was given not out, caught behind. But, you know, just, just for entertainment's sake, the, the umpire, uh, the third umpire said, oh, I'll check the LBW. And it came back as umpire's call. Uh Nevertheless, the decision came back not out because the third umpire asked the on-field umpire whether he'd given him out LBW, and uh, the, th- the on-field umpire said, no, I hadn't, and therefore the umpire's call went Chris Rogers' way, which is the exact opposite of the process as it exists today, right? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, sorry, did, when the third umpire called for the re- review of the LBW, presumably they didn't know the umpire's decision is yeah. that right <laughs> okay so because otherwise it would be totally redundant because if he'd known that it was given not out he was basically like you say just reviewing for the fun of it yes but, yeah so just and then went and checked what the umpire had actually decided afterwards <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. So yeah. So it's. Uh, I mean, these days, of course, it doesn't really matter how the umpire has given you out. If they, if they, even if they think you've edged it, if it turns out it's hit your pad and it's in front, uh, the umpire's call will go the way of the original decision, regardless of what happened. But I, I like this old method where you know you have to get clarity from the on-field umpire. How, how exactly do you think this is out uh, before the third umpire can apply? Uh, some kind of uh, umpire's call methodology. Yeah, the third umpire has great authority these days. I'm presuming that this was actually, you know, the whole reviews thing was literally part of the reasoning behind Watson's demotion, just to give the batters above him a chance of reviewing. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it d- does does increase their opportunities, right? It's a double a chance of having a review available for you. Yeah, so uh, Watson went on to score uh, 68. Uh, Rogers uh, made his first century in Test cricket, uh, which was very uh, elaborate commentated upon uh, it was the moment of a lifetime according to Mark Nicholas uh, <laughs> who didn't have particularly high hopes for the rest of Roger's time on this mortal plane <laughs> he actually he went on from that as well he said um, a moment that will live with him until he has those slippers by the fire which uh, we know what he's saying there because <laughs> he's just talking about sort of going to old age but the way he words it that they will live with him until he has like it's a thing you just acquire like you're issued with slippers at a certain age and then you're just supposed to store them by the fire that's the kind of like the way I heard it when I heard him say that. Yeah, I, I was thinking that perhaps he meant like the the slip cordon of England. He, he's going to burn them. <laughs> And Damien Martin also went on to talk about the pride that Rogers would feel of scoring a century in the baggy green cap. And this, of course, was while uh, Rogers were, was wearing a massive green helmet uh, standing <laughs> issue. So all very good. Why why don't Australians wear baggy green helmets, Dan? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I think the bagginess is an issue. Although you would think that it would supply extra padding, right? The bagginess? Yeah, I think it would a bit more give. Or maybe yeah. it would give too much. I don't know. We'll get them to look into it. Yeah, Rogers, he was down as being caught behind in that innings, but it, when you watch it, he was actually caught short leg by the wicketkeeper because Matt Pryor there's this mad dashing dive. He went absolutely miles to catch it. Good scurrying. The other thing I was struck by in his innings was that uh, Graham Swan seemed to bowl an incredible number of full tosses <laughs> at him, and then I realised he was probably trying to recreate that magic ball where uh, Rogers had, uh, had taken a swung at it in earlier earlier in the series and been out LBW to what was practically a beam. Yeah. Okay, I'll move on to my next nomination then, which is. Is the Summer of Bell, <laughs> which is uh, one of these sort of grander nominations. But I think these, you know, it's, uh, it's when to put them in, but I think they, they still apply. Uh, a broader series nomination yeah. that I've kept in my back pocket, really. Because uh, this is the moment when we have the full picture, I think. So let's first revisit the public perception of Ian Bell at this point. Because Bell had a reputation for being a bit flaky and not really doing much when England really needed him. And the famous accusation was that he only scored hundreds when someone else in the England batting lineup had already made one. Yep. And I checked and it wasn't really unfair. His first 900 uh, came that way. Uh, the next two came against Bangladesh. And then he was second to three figures as often as not after that until mm-hmm. this series. The more recent history was they'd gone into this Ashes with 150 and six tests against New Zealand because they've played back-to-back series. So he's not sort of like coming into the series as the great hero. (laughs) He then made 109 in each of his first two innings in the series and then 113 in this game. And those were the three tests that England won. Not only that... 
But the next highest scores in those three innings were 65, 67, and in this match, 45. He came to the crease at 49 for three. England are just about ahead on runs, three wickets down. Uh, and the top score in the first innings was Elsa Cook's 51. So England were just not making runs. Yeah. And then he made 113. It was just the exact opposite of what people thought Ian Bell was all about. It was it was amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I think here in Australia, we, we didn't really have any real opinion of Ian Bell prior to this series. And then I, I do strongly remember that just becoming utterly terrified of him during this series as, a, as, an, as an unstoppable force like n- nothing could prevent him from scoring runs and then about six months later and I think I did mention this in the 2013-14 uh, Ridiculous Ashes just struggling to recall what the big deal was about Ian Bell because he was <laughs> went back to being you know no- nothing particularly remarkable again just this one yeah. one summer the summer of Bell the summer of Bell I mean there were strong feelings about him this side of the world and they were polarised it was either Ian Bell is just an absolute waste of space <laughs> and we just need a shot of him immediately or he is such a talented batter I can't believe people because he was always averaging around the point where you know he was a good he's clearly a good player yep. and he looked amazing so, but yeah it was either one or the other I had a campaign on my website for because people were so polarised about it was to not really have any kind of opinion about Ian Bell at all it was just you know. <laughs> so that was my like official editorial stance was that I have no opinion about Ian Bell but <laughs> kind of knackered it up with this series this third hunt meant at this point in the series he had 500 runs in four tests at an average of 71.42 handy if we exclude Joe Root's 180 which we're obliged to do on the basis <laughs> of root math yes then Kevin Peterson was the only other England batter who was averaging over 30 so you know fair work higher and yeah it was like peak Ian Bell batting as well I was watching the highlights of this innings and most of his fours it seemed like most of them at least half of them were deliberately cut between <laughs> slip and gullet which just should not be a high percentage shot at all it's basically just the biting equivalent of uh, taunting suicide <laughs> yeah well, well speaking of which the, the way he scored his century because this is this stuck with me he, he moved from 97 to 99 by one of these shots as you mentioned where he edged the, I don't think this one was deliberate he, he edged one through a mostly vacant slips cordon uh, Clark tried to dive from gully back towards fourth slip to almost catch it and it looked as if it was going to race to the boundary for four uh, to you know, give him his century. But Warner came around and slid and prevented the four. And so he was stuck on 99 for a bit. And then he moved from 99 to 100 by chipping one through mid-wicket past a fielder by you know l- less than a metre, presumably. And it landed just in front of mid-on, who then had a ping at the stumps at the bowler's end to try and run him out as well. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was an exciting way to bring up your century. He kept it colourful as well. And then I don't know when this happened, but I uh, at some point in his innings... Uh, which may have been like pertinent to when exactly he reached 100, but apparently a hook off Shane Watson brushed the front of umpire Tony Hill's jacket, uh, <laughs> and it would have gone. They reckon it would have gone for four, but uh, they saved a couple of runs. Good, uh, good bowling from what I <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. But the thing is, so this, just as a sort of final word on the summer of Bell, was this really sums up the situation for Ian Bell and like the perception of him in the UK. Because all that really happened was that he played so well, the expectations skyrocketed. (laughs) And he then completely failed to meet them from then on. All Ian Bell could ever do was fail to meet expectations or raise them out of his own reach. (laughs) Those were his his two moves, basically. And I think this is just a perfect example of that but he did win in ashes so like pretty much him all right well i've got a reasonably neat segue uh into my next nomination because uh my next nomination is uh ryan harris hitting the stumps 
And the one moment that I'm particularly thinking of here is uh, early on day four where he skittled all the stumps to dismiss <laughs> Bell. Uh, it, was, it was pretty much like 10-pin bowling. Uh, the aftermath was like there was a leg stump out of the ground, middle stump had been knocked back, both bales had flown off in opposite direction. It was like absolute demolishment of the stumps. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, just, just for good measure, he followed it up with the next ball by knocking the stump out of the ground to uh, dismiss Pryor. Uh, so, yeah, Ryan Harris was uh, getting very angry and really putting some oomph into it. I've, I've seen a few times in recent uh, years bowlers hitting the stumps and the bail not even coming off. Uh, Harris wasn't having any of that. There's nothing more satisfying than a flying stump, really. It's so unequivocal. Yep. I think, in, particularly like in these days of like, it's an LBW and he's given and mm. maybe that's out or maybe it's not out. Let's wait and see. Let's watch some replays for five minutes. Yep. Like just watching a stump just like just battered across the outfield is um, oh, it's my favourite thing in cricket. Yeah. So after these two uh, stump scattering uh, deliveries. That meant he was on a hat trick, of course. Uh, and who who came out to face the hat trick? Of, co- of course, it would have to be Stuart Broad. Uh, who else? Who else? Nobody else could come out to face the hat trick. And uh, Broad managed to negotiate the hat trick, survive that one, and then went on to hit thirteen off seven deliveries. <laughs> Classic Stuart Broad innings. This innings for Ryan Harris, his bowling figures was seven for one hundred and seventeen, which is like you see figures like that sometimes. Like it's a freak bowling performance by any standards but like that would be the kind of thing you would see from a spin bowler yes you've been bowling all day plugging away it is you almost never see that from a seam bowler because if, if wickets are going to seamers then they're going to other people or they're going yeah. quicker or it's just like an incredible workload yeah well i mean and that that was kind of the, one of the issues with ryan harris like he was famously uh like weak need his knees would break down at a moment's notice and he was always injured so the the, the surprise wasn't that he was bowling well we all knew he could bowl but uh the, the surprise was that he stayed fit long enough to do it because he, he bowled uh, in most of the tests in this series. And then, of course, he stuck around for all five of the following series. A little bit of hindsight yeah. corner there. Hindsight corner. Um, <laughs> yeah. A little bit earlier, he also uh, got root out with uh, with an absolute peach uh, that you know hit hit um, hit the stumps again. Uh, it wasn't quite as good as the famous one to Alastair Cook six months later, but it was right up there. And he also got uh, Cook and Trot out as well. Not a bad bunch of players to get out. Hmm. Yeah, and I, and I do like, because of his efforts, England were all out for 330, which meant Australia needed one run less than 300 to win, which I think gave us <laughs> the psychological advantage. I'll tell you what that's down to. That's down to Tony Hill's jacket. It is indeed, yes. <laughs> yes. And, the, and the final thing I want to mention, just as, as part of this nomination, is that Australia only had two wicket-takers in this innings. Uh, Ryan Harris with his uh, 7 for 117 and Nathan Lyon with 3 for 55. Neither had been selected for the first test of the series, so I'm not <laughs> sure what that says. Yeah, I, I remember at the time feeling a bit like there was a race for England to win the series before Australia worked out who they should be picking because yep. they'd started off so mental. I feel like uh, quick, you can quickly just rush to a 3-0 lead before they work out who they should be picking. We'll be good. My next nomination is a bit of a, a niche one. This, but I, when I was watching it, this appealed to me so much. I <laughs> I thought I, I've got to make this my actual nomination. It's probably maybe there's things that other people would appreciate more. We've got to treat yourself, haven't you? And this was thing that just really really fascinated me and it's england's ball flinging wicket celebrations (laughs) on the final day and one in particular one more than the other there's two um it's the and it was the the first and last wickets of australia's innings and the first one uh, is when 
Jonathan Trott caught Chris Rogers' lip. Now, there are certain conventions in wicket <laughs> celebrations. Like, you generally run towards your teammates. Jonathan Trott <laughs> took this catch low and dead centre. It was one of those where, as a slip fielder, you barely have to move. You yep. know, your hands are in the right position. Anyway, dead central. Uh, he then instantly turned 90 degrees to his right <laughs> and started running like there was somewhere he absolutely had to immediately be. And that place was leg slip. Uh, so everyone's swarming towards the bowler and trots off sideways. Uh, what did he do when he got to leg slip? Well, another wicket celebration is that you throw the ball upwards, don't you? Yes. That's the normal thing to do. Launch it skywards. Uh, when he arrived at leg slip, Trot instead tried to launch the ball over the square leg boundary. Like when you, you know, when you're returning the ball from the outfield, yeah. like a huge, powerful, flat throw. But the thing that really makes it for me, what I most love about this, is how he just instantly embarks on these actions. <laughs> There's no, like, facial change. He takes the catch and he just, like, heads off to the right as if it was a job he already had in mind and he really needed to urgently get on with. It's my absolute favourite part of that. It's the thing only, only Jonathan Trott could really pull off, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> And then the second wicket, was sort of bookending it, was Jimmy Yander's celebration after taking the final catch. Jimmy at least acknowledged that the ball's supposed to go up, but instead of underarming it, like <laughs> is the absolute logical way to do it, he, he sort of tilted backwards and launched a full-blooded sidearm throw, but dead vertically. As you, as you see him sort of about to throw, you can't work out how he manages, but he just sort of hinges backwards, like he's got sort of a Lego man legs on backwards or something. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the kind of thing that you, you wouldn't want him doing today at his current age right you'd throw your back out if you tried that no i think he must do plenty of like yoga pilates you would hope so, stuff. Yeah. i don't know but it uh yeah it's uh yeah, it looked like a spinal risk. And it's a powerful throw. Yeah. Like it, I honestly would not be at all surprised to learn that the ball left the Earth's atmosphere. <laughs> he properly slatted. Well, there, there was lots of talk at the time about England's like one percenters, how they were just working on all, the, all these things uh, to just give themselves marginal edges. And I like to think even their celebrations were somehow being optimised in ways I can't begin <laughs> to fathom. <laughs> yeah, maybe they were roughing up the ball a bit with yep. the Jonathan Trott's uh, square leg throw. Who knows? <laughs> I can get this in the... While everyone's watching the celebrations, I will land this in the stands and scuff it up a bit more. Yeah. And, and, you know, you'd be practised it so it always landed on the correct side to, for the scuffing. Yeah, and that's why he was so determined about it. <laughs> he basically, like, the camera of, like, trying to... The, the cameraman is trying to capture all the celebrations. Jonathan Trott's just having none of it, because where <laughs> everything's happening... He's, he's not. just running in the opposite direction. Yeah. I remember a friend telling me once, it's a little bit like... He said that he was he was standing outside... He was at university, and uh, there was fire drill in the library, and everyone was just like... He said there were just tons of people, and they're just warming out or out of lecture halls. I don't know what it was. And he said he could see one guy in headphones just walking in, <laughs> completely oblivious. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of like that. Excellent. All right, my final nomination is uh, is Australia's Crazy Hour. So this is a uh, this is Australia, as we mentioned, we're chasing three hundred uh, for victory or two ninety nine to be precise. And they start off really well, a century opening partnership between uh, Warner and Rogers, and then they pretty much got almost halfway there, just one wicket down. They were one hundred and forty seven for one, uh, and Swan got Kawaja LBW, but they were still pretty much cruising. Uh, and then Warner was out at five forty four p.m on the fourth day and Australia at that point were 168 for three and less than an hour later so at 6 38 p.m uh they were 181 for seven and Haddon was out <laughs> they'd lost five for 13 uh Broad had destroyed them and uh that was pretty much it England mopped up the tail to win the test on the fourth evening 
I do, I do remember that I went to bed uh, as Australia. We're kind of going. I thought, oh well, maybe I'll wake up tomorrow and this could be poised really interestingly at the beginning of the fifth day. No, nah, not at all. <laughs> all. All done. So there's a slight tangent here, but just talking about like uh, them being one eight one seven at six thirty eight p.m. I was going to put this in the unnominated moments <laughs> in a minute, but the uh, play went on way past seven o'clock in this. I think it had done at the end of the previous test as well. And I remember at the time that what this meant was that they were still playing live when they were broadcasting the highlights <laughs> and I, all i could ever think about if i was watching the highlights you know even if i'd recorded watching them later on or something or maybe i don't know maybe i was watching the highlights live if you see what i mean <laughs> uh, but in, in any case when i was watching them, all i could think was the poor editor and like the job that they had to do editing something which hadn't even finished and then the closer you got to the close like presumably the match like that almost coincided yes <laughs> Oh, terrifying. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, presumably by the end, they just edited, you know, a 10 minute short and just said, all right, you can watch the last 10 minutes of the test now. Yeah, basically. But then there's always the risk that they'll just go off and then you've got 10 minutes to fill. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah. So anyway, in that in that crazy hour or whatever it was, 54 minutes, this is what happened. Warner was caught behind off Brezhnev. This one kind of jumped off a length. That, that started the clock. Uh, then Broad got uh, Clark to an absolute uh, beautiful delivery. Yeah, that was nice. Smith managed to hook the ball onto his own stump somehow, so that was a neat trick from Steve Smith. Uh, Watson came out. You want to guess how he was out? Uh, I'll take a punt. Was he clean bowled? He was out LBW. Oh, no, you kidding. Did you review it? He did review it, and it was going on to hit the stumps. Uh, Haddon uh, did, in, in Watto's uh, defence, Haddon did tell him to review it. They had a few review, reviews up their sleeve because Watson was an opening, so uh, there were reviews left for the number six batter. Uh, and there was also a review left for Brad Haddon, who also reviewed an LBW and again it was umpire's call but it was still out and the review was therefore lost so they were the wickets that fell in that crazy period and that was pretty much the end of the test for Australia or the end end of any chance of winning it let's say yeah I mean it's a, it's a Wasim and Wakarian all ball scorecard we yes. used to have this quite a lot there's one particular series where the Pakistan were over where England were just sort of routinely getting like 100 or even 200 for like none <laughs> <laughs> something absolutely insane and then they were all out for like 203 <laughs> <laughs> All right, so do we have any unnominated moments? Well, I've got at least one. I used the, the 7pm one already. The <laughs> other one was not really related to this match, but uh, Monty Panesar was left out of the squad for this test. And it was around this time that he was he was fined by the ECB after being ejected from a Brighton nightclub called Shush for bothering women before urinating off a balcony over the bouncer who chucked him out. <laughs> quite a famous story about Monty Panesar. Poor Monty. See, I, I just assumed uh, that Monty... Monty's urination was just, you know, overflow, excuse the phrase, from, from, <laughs> from the England players' celebrations after winning the Ashes in the previous test. Because I think we forgot to mention this. Uh, after the, the England won the Ashes, the England players kind of infamously urinated on the pitch to celebrate after the third test. Yeah, the, the way it was reported was that uh, players urinated on the pitch while their teammates cheered them on, <laughs> which I don't know. It feels like that's a sort of... Um, Embellishment? Yeah, and maybe there was some cheering or a deliberate misreading of the situation, I yes. suspect. Like maybe they were like, singing the team song and one guy was off, wandered off to take a slash. I don't know. And anyway, you can, you can see how that behaviour would uh, impact a, an easily influenced uh, young man like yeah. Monty. Yeah, he spoke about the incident a few years later. Uh, it was reported in a Daily Mail article that was headlined, The Worst Idea I've Ever Had. <laughs> I've seen him on Mastermind. That's not the worst idea he's ever had. <laughs> Yeah, 
as if you were ideas in that in that round, the general knowledge round. Uh, he said to, he said his Sussex teammates defended him when the bouncer when the bouncer caught him. Uh, it was the ultimate team building exercise, he said, or at least it would have been if the club hadn't been about to sack me. <laughs> Oh, Monty. Fantastic stuff. Oh, Monty. I mean, it was uh, probably, it was actually, you're not really laughing, man. It was quite dark time. Yes, it is. But, stuff, but uh, yes, set, set aside one man's existential crisis. All right. I, I also have an unnominated uh, uh, nomination, kind of related to squads being picked. So Mitchell Stark was left out of this test, and uh, Jackson Bird came in uh, to replace him. And, and I was a bit of a Bird fan before this test, and I became a little bit less so after it. Uh, he, he didn't bowl <laughs> particularly well. But, but I, I, I have always liked. Like the fact that Bird is a generic brand version of Glenn Pigeon McGrath, so I just I I, re- I really enjoy that. And perhaps the highlight of Bird's uh, play in this test was that he did get Alastair Cook out in the first innings, uh, which I mostly just like because there was a graphic that read Bird to Cook, which I, I assume is like a frozen <laughs> chicken or something. <laughs> Exactly how much of your Jackson Bird fandom was down to the potential for wordplay? Uh, at least 99 to 102%. <laughs> well, I, I haven't got any others. That's, that's me right. done. Let's, let's see who won this uh, ridiculous Ashes test then. Well, the first thing I'm going to say, and the first thing, you, you might not like this, but Australia's crazy hour. I want to I diminish Australia's qua- crazy hour because there is a, a large Stuart Broad element aspect to that, which I think surely tempers it as an Australian nomination. I appreciate they lost all his wickets in one hour, but, you know, if Stuart Broad's involved, and he was involved... It is always hard to know with a collapse that, uh, you know, who who to give the credit to, but if it's Broad... If it's Broad, then I'm more inclined to to take some sort of English uh, influence over that. If it had been Brasidon, you could have had that, definitely. That would have been uh, Harry Kerry on Australia's part, but, you know, if if Broad's there, he's got to be having an influence. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I guess that's fair. I, I, I guess I, I could flip that around a little bit and say that, you know, England's T20 dot ballathon was uh, <laughs> was something to do with Australia's tight bowling. Uh, one, one of whom was Shane Watson, yet another, uh, you know, legendary ridiculous cricketer. So I, I think we yeah. kind of even one another out there. Well, we've knackered those two up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We're going to have to try and find at least three things. Is there any others that we uh, we've got issues with? Um, uh, to, to be honest, I, I'm not overly keen on Ryan Harris bowling people. I, I'm not quite sure how ridiculous that is. Oh, you're is. going to argue against yourself? Sorry, I should have <laughs> predicted that. I thought we were, thought we were loggerheads trying to uh, take control of the voting there. But uh, yes, yeah, sorry, I didn't. We moved into this this phase where we start uh, arguing against ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ryan Harris did bowl a lot of people in his career, so I'm, I'm not. I'm not he sure. He did exactly. bowl a lot in that match as well yes so i I, th- I think that undercuts that one a little bit and uh, kind of kind of uh so i think the watson rogers opening partnership is definitely my strongest nomination i would say ian bell this match is a perfect example of what the summer of bell was all about and the summer of bell <laughs> is such a perfect example of what ian bell was all about in the sense of how it affected how people perceived him and the fact that he could just never really win yeah so i, I think ian bell is my my strongest I, I i would agree with that i think the summer of bell i mean even as an australian it's just like what 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 who ian bell what's, what's going on here <laughs> And then six months later, not really. Yeah. Just like, it was like some vivid dream. So uh, 
do we think that could be a three pointer here? I, I think so. I, I think it's. I, I, I think the only one that I, I could fight with it is the Watson Rogers partnership, which does you know have a little bit of DRS nonsense thrown into the mix. So yeah. it's got a lot of good little elements, but I'm not sure it uh, can match uh, the Summer of Bell, particularly taken as a whole. Okay, well let's go with that for three then. Yep. So two and one to be decided. My remaining num well not my remaining nomination, but the other one we've not mentioned is England's ball flinging wicket celebrations, <laughs> and I struggled to sort of be partial on this one because I just have this image of, of Jonathan Trott doing uh, uh, his, his right hand turn and just, just heading off and he's doing his own thing as, as he so often did and it just it just makes me smile but uh, I appreciate that it might be quite a personal one it is silly I, I'm, I'm not sure it's uh, it's extraordinarily ridiculous I, I, there, no. there are a lot of celebrations in, in cricket uh, you know you don't have to be too far along um, well I was going to say the bell curve but uh, <laughs> yeah I think I think it's the fact that it's um, uh, a Jonathan Trott one, mm. and I, I've always found Jonathan Trott a funny cricketer, so I think it's maybe quite a personal one for me. Well, I, I, I'm going to propose, I'll just put out a, a suggestion here, and you let me know what you think. I'm going to say Bell 3, Watson Rogers 2, and then the Crazy Hour 1, because that Crazy Hour, that was very crazy. Yeah. Does, despite Broad's involvement, or, Pat, or because of Broad's involvement, but I'm still claiming it for Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Smith hooked a ball into his own stumps. Come on. That, that is true. He did. Well, I'm persuaded. I mean, yeah. yeah. I, I, what, so what was my other one? The, the, the T20. I mean, we've diminished both of those. But yeah. how much have we diminished them? Is the T20 not on a par? You don't think with Crazy Hour? I, I, wickets are always more entertaining than dot balls. Yeah. And I suppose the, the, the match kind of stagnated there, which is pretty ridiculous. But yeah. the ridiculous thing about Australia is they were halfway to victory. towards victory. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, within an hour were <laughs> yep. significantly greater distance towards defeat. Yes. Okay, I'll uh, buy that. Yeah, and, and, and within an hour where just about everybody in Australia was asleep. So we all woke up and went, oh, for <laughs> sake. Oh, well, I can certainly sympathise with that. <laughs> okay, then, let's go with that then. So Ian Bell has effectively salvaged a draw for England with his heroics, his series log heroics, uh, with two points and one points for Australia. So three points each. Yeah, which means um, we're, we're one all going into the, the fifth and final test. Got a live test again. All right. Well, I think that wraps us up. So thank you for listening. Uh, you can check out Alex's website. He's over at kingcricket.co.uk. Uh, you can check out mine. That's at liebcricket.com. You can follow us on Twitter, either combined at Ridiculous Ashes or at The King's Tweets or at Lieb Cricket for Alex and myself, respectively. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to give us money for some reason, uh, Alex is at patreon.com slash kingcricket and I'm at patreon.com slash liebcricket. And we will be back in a week with our coverage of the fifth, final and deciding test of the 2013 Ridiculous Ashes. See you then. Thanks. Podcast Network.